If you are like me and know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. My name is Christian D. Evans, your host. And guys, we have someone very special on, guys, because he is a best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur, currently an advisor and consultant to top companies on customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation initiatives as principal and chief strategist at GK5A. He's also the host of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom Podcast. He's a two-time CEO and co-founder, growing both companies organically and through acquisition and ultimately leading both to be acquired. One in 2017 and one in 2021, just recently. As a strategist, digital transformation, and customer experience advisor, he has worked with some of the world's top brands, including AOL, Choice Hotels, Coca-Cola, Dell, FedEx, Geico, Marriott, MTV, Starbucks, Toyota, VMware, and so much more. My friend, Greg Kilstrom. How are you doing, my man? Good, good. Looking forward to talking with you. Hey, man, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Uh, I know we just uh, got a crazy start, but I mean, I'm obviously very experienced podcaster, but also, you know, co, uh, co-CEO co and, and founder and business owner. Uh, but before we jump into that, you know, just kind of tell me your transformation. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Has it always that drive and building kind of mindset always been a, established in your lifestyle? Or is that kind of a, a learned experience, man? Um, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of it goes back. My dad was always self-employed. So, you know, from, you know, from the, the entire time I've been alive, he owned his own company and, um, you know, just was, uh, was an entrepreneur himself. And so I think it kind of rubbed off on me. I did have a couple jobs right out of college. I, I had a couple, uh, day jobs, so to speak, but, um, shortly after the, the second one, I worked for a tech startup and, and had a good, had a good time there, but, just decided I didn't want to work for anybody else again. Um, I did end up working for other people at, at a few other points, but um, you know, after that, yeah, I started started my first company, which was a marketing agency. That's awesome, and you know, obviously, kind of going from that 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 journey, if you will. What were some of your big failures that you learned, as well as obviously some of the successes that you learned throughout that, and and skills that you had acquire along the journey. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, I, there's definitely been more failures than successes. But I think, you know, when I look at other other people that I admire, the, the same can be said for them as well. So I, I feel in good company with the, the number of failures. But yeah, you know, so early, early on, you know, I, I, and this, I've learned as a classic um, entrepreneurial um, fallacy, let's say, is I started a company thinking that it would allow me to do what I wanted to do all day long. And, you know, I was a web designer back in the day, graphic designer. And so, okay, I started this, this digital agency and I thought, okay, now I'm going to get to do web design all day long. Well, turns out I had to learn finance and operations and HR and sales and all of these other things. And so, you know, I've, I've ended up embracing the idea of, you know, being creative in business and with process and all those things. But early on, you know, I was in my mid twenties at that point when I started my first company. 
Um, I just had no idea what I was kind of getting myself into. I was a designer, not a, you know, not a, not an MBA grad at that point. So that, you know, that was a big one. The, uh, you know, a couple other things just quickly is just learning to ask for help um, and being humble enough to ask for help. I mean, I think that was, um, that was a tough thing to, to have to learn. Um, and to really rely on experts instead of, you know, I am the kind of person I like to figure things out myself, which is good and it's served me well, but it doesn't always, it's not always the best use of time when you own a company and you run a team and, and all those things. It's sometimes you just need to be able to rely on experts that you trust. So, you know, there, I think there's I've uh, plenty of other mistakes, but those are, those are two that come to mind. Well, and it's actually interesting that you mentioned that, Greg, because I find it very interesting as well. You know, business owners, we always we always love the result, right, of, of what that business potentially can create, right? That freedom, that enjoyment, you know, that money, that revenue, whatever it is. But then, like you mentioned, it's not just, oh, I, I love sales. I have to also figure out operations. I have to figure out finance. I have to figure out systems and, you know, you know processes, right, uh, which can never be really that sexy. So I'm just curious. What did you, when you were building your business, what did you gravitate toward? Like you loved and like, man, I love the marketing or something like that. Me, I was marketing sales. I love that. I hated the, you know, operations and systems, but I got to have a, a respect for it. So I was just curious, what were some of your, you know, you gravitated toward like, man, this is it. And then obviously, like you said, some things that you had to develop a skill, but like you said, it wasn't like you became the expert at it. You got it good enough to understand what needed to be done and so forth. What did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so coming from a creative background, I gravitated towards like making stuff and doing the work, you know, so I've always, I've mostly been in like professional services. So, you know, in a consulting capacity, the the last time I was CEO is for a tech startup, but we can, we can cross that bridge later. But, um, you know, so I gravitated towards like doing work and I like to make stuff. I like to do stuff for the first time. I love anything that that requires me to learn something new or, or do something relatively, you know, new for the first time, innovative, all that kind of stuff. But I think what I've gravitated over time, what I've realized that I actually have, a, I, I really do like process and I really do like improving process. You know, it was, it was something where I always kind of, I thought that was somebody else's job or I, it wasn't really, you know, it's, it's not as glamorous, you know, on the surface of things, but what I find I've been really good at and where, where I work now, you know, I work with fortune 500 companies to do this stuff, to improve processes related to, you know, everything I do is related to technology and marketing, you know, in, to some degree, but really what I've, what I'm brought in to do is help people and processes get better so that they can use technology and get better results. And I find I have a, I think a, a unique way of looking at it and, and, you know, that that's tended to serve me well over the, over the last, last half of my career, really. Well, that's incredible. And so I, I find that you almost have like a respect for it. And then that's what you're doing now. So what have you learned in regarding processes and systems? Because a lot of our, our audience are, you know, high six figure earners. They're wanting to scale to mid seven figures, right? Three, five, seven, $10 million, uh, and maybe even eight figures and so forth. So with that, you know, I know just from building my business, systems and processes are just key to building it. It's not sexy. It's not fun. And I think it's overlooked, but it's so it creates a consistency that's just so stable in building the next level of business. And and I'm just curious, obviously, building, you know, systems and processes around Fortune 500 companies. I mean, just give me an example of kind of, you know, an implementation that they've been able to implement your process and system and the result that they've been able to see because of, of your strategy. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a there's a common theme throughout all of them, really. I mean, every every situation is very different. I can't even talk about some of them for based on the you know the confidentiality. But I think the the real the common thread is most of the time stakeholders will want they'll they'll understand what they want to achieve the end result they'll think of it as a technology or you know a, basically a technology problem to solve or if we buy this software solution or if we hire this company or you know, or something like that what often and almost always gets overlooked is if you don't get buy in from your people first and foremost like the people that are going to be doing the work and using that technology managing those vendors all of those things you're not going to be successful you may you may check the box and get the project done but it is not going to be successful either in the short term or the long term and i think that's that's a really tough it's a really tough thing because you know software and all that stuff is so expensive you think man we're paying x millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars whatever the case may be um, shouldn't that solve all our problems? Well, you know, it's, it's the people that are, they're going to be the, the, they're going to be the, the, um, biggest benefit to it, or they're going to be the biggest drawback to it, depending on how you approach it. It definitely does make sense. And, um, you know, with that experience, let me ask you, like going from the marketing and digital, you know, um, marketing digital business that you had to now being able to consult with fortune 500, what did that transformation look like? Was that just kind of, Oh, you know, just life happened and, you know, there was just opportunities there and you went with it or was it like you, you had a hustle to make those connections and those fortune 500 companies, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've, I've always, I, I was fortunate to be able to work with some, some pretty large brands, even, you know, at, at the marketing agency and, you know, starting out, you know, from nothing. I mean, that was the, the agency. It was self-funded. It was, you know, bootstrap, all that, all that good stuff. But, you know, we were able to make some good, some good headway in a few places. But I think, you know, what I, what I realized, so I owned that agency for 14 years and sold it about four years ago now. So um, what I realized about halfway through own, you know, starting running, owning, um, I started to realize that, it was hard to separate me from my company. And I made a very, very conscious decision to, I didn't want to step away from the company. I mean, I eventually I sold, but you know, seven years later or so, but I did find a, like for just a, 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 an example is I didn't actually have a personal email address for the first like seven or eight years of the company. And, you know, on the surface, like maybe that's a silly thing, but it was meaningful to me to actually set up a personal like Gmail account so that everything that I did wasn't running through my company's email and, and stuff like that. And so um, that was a very small step, but you know, I bigger steps that I took was to really define a personal brand. And, you know, that, that ended up being, you know, starting a podcast that wasn't my company. It was me. Um, I write a lot. I've written several books now, you know, all of those kinds of things. And those were always me, not a company, uh, always related to a company probably, but, um, but always me. And so by doing that, I was able to set myself apart from, you know, I could sell my company, walk away. I could start another company, walk away, you know, and, and I, I was the constant threat as opposed to, oh, he's the guy from XYZ company. 
it doesn't matter what, you know, the agency was called Carousel 30, but it doesn't matter what that name was. It became more about my name and the value that I bring. And therefore, I can walk into some of these larger organizations because I have a brand behind me that's not a company I sold four years ago. Yeah, that does make sense because I've seen a lot of, you know, I, I coach and consult as well in, in this regard. And I see a lot of people that their business is so much associated with their name that they become the business, right? And so it's it's a it's hard to, like you said, exit and have an exit strategy when um when, when that is you, you know, and so forth. So let me ask you, let's let's kind of dive into that. Was that a was that a long process or was that just being more very intentional pulling back and having, okay, here's your, here's your marketing agency. I know that was, you know, several years ago, but then you also have your personal brand and I know the power of the personal brand. So that's not my question. It's more of like, okay, how do you separate those and make sure that those are separated? And then as well as, you know, making sure that you do, you know, invest your time into a personal brand. Yeah. I mean, at first it was really hard and it was, it was a really slow, I, I'm a very, uh, you know, my podcast is called agile brand, the agile brand. So I, I take agile very seriously from a, I, not from a, like everything has to be scrum or, or whatever, but more from a, I'm a very iterative person. And so I, I try a lot of things. Some of those things work. Many of those don't work. So, you know, obviously I'm talking about a lot of the things that have worked, but you know, I've tried some other things too, but um, I, I do everything very small to start iterate, you know, even my, my podcast, I started it out with a few shows of just me talking and just to see like, do I even like, can I stand the sound of my own voice and can I actually do this, you know, long-term turned out, yeah, I can do it for, I'm going on four years now and and now I interview and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but that was a very like, let's test it out. Let's make sure it even works. The, the personal brand has been that all along. You know, my first book was, I would say it's a, it was a very long pamphlet, you know, and yet it was, it was a test of like, okay, what is it like to write a book? And now, you know, I'm writing book number nine now, and I've got a process in place and I like doing it. I like writing. So it, it's something that, that comes naturally to me, but every single thing along the way, it was just sort of, okay, let me, let me try something, test it, see if it works and then discard it if it doesn't. But if it does work, let me ramp it up. Let me, you know, let me up the stakes each time to get better, to bring in more partners, so on and so forth. So, I mean, to answer your question, it's just been, it's been a long, it's been a, you know, 10 year, probably 14 year, probably journey at this point to really get to where I am. And I don't see any end in sight because I continually, I continually find myself doing something new almost every 12 to 18 months, not everything new, but something new, you know? And that's powerful. And so what, what I find so interesting is just the way you approach things, uh, just like the way you approach, you know, the, the podcast, the way you approach, you know, obviously building businesses, you know, like you said, it's, it's very agile. So let's kind of dive into that. What do you mean by that? Because I think a lot of business owners, they want to scale to 20 bajillion million, right? Dollars. Uh, and the thing is, is I think your approach is very strategic and it's very consistent and says, hey, you know what? We're not going to build a business in, you know, a million dollar business in six months, but I guarantee you we'll, we will do it in two years, right? And then maybe, you know, several million dollars, right? And so forth. So it's, it's more of that, that long-term approach, which I appreciate. And I know just from, you know, building, you know, direct response versus brand awareness, right? Building a brand, you know, the brand is more long-term thinking. So let's kind of dive into that. 
talk a little bit more about obviously your perspective in regarding why that's important and and you know why why you approach things that way yeah definitely and and so you just for context as far as agile you know there are very strict definitions of agile principles and scrum methodology and all those things and uh, that's not really i i work with teams that do that and i'm an agile coach and all that so i i know that stuff that's something i do for for work let's say but at what I'm talking about here as far as really adopting an agile mindset is, first of all, I think a, a big misconception and um, sort of misnomer um, for agile is that you're reactive. And I don't, I, that to me, that's a bad word as far as, okay, something happened, let's change everything. You know, the word pivot to me, I, I don't like that word because it feels, it, I've done it before and, and there's a good time to do it, but it feels reactive and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. To me, agile is a scientific way of looking at things and, you know, looking at like create, create a hypothesis and the hypothesis doesn't need to be a big formula and algorithm. It could be, I want to grow my audience by, you know, 5,000 people over six months. Okay, cool. Like that's a, that's a hypothesis test that iterate uh, iterate on that give it enough time though you know don't just say okay well we tried this for a week and it didn't work that's being reactive you know but give yourself um you know give yourself enough time to test what you want to do see if it's working if you need to change direction by all means do but don't lose sight of that end goal like your goals don't change or they don't need to change. They can change, but you know that your goals don't need to change. So, to me, I look at a, at a as a you know scientific process of let's get to where we need to go, but let's do it in small enough increments that we can course correct along the way without big change and completely undoing things and wasting time and rework and all that kind of stuff. Interesting, very interesting. Because see, I'm the total opposite. I come in, I'm just like a bulldozer. I'm like, all right, let's just just throw this all away and let's start from scratch and let's move this to rock and roll. So when you're looking, because Fortune 500 companies, you, you really can't do that, right? I, I work with mid-sized companies and so forth, so just slightly different. So with that, I really am very intrigued with your approach, Greg. When you're looking at it, I mean, where do you start, man? I mean, when you when you got, and I, I know you probably can't get too much into detail, but kind of give us a little bit of context. Like, I know a lot of business owners that I work with, they struggle because there's lack of clarity. They don't know where to start. They know yeah. they have something going on. They got some money going in, but they just don't have clarity. They don't have consistency. Some months are, you know, doing 300,000. Some months they're doing 100,000. It's like, how do we stay consistent? And that's all really relative to the processes and systems. And I think that that strategic approach that you're, you're using. So I love to kind of dive into that and like, okay, where do you start in bringing clarity to, okay, hey, those incremental changes and that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, two, two things come to mind. So um, first is priority and prioritization. So you need to have a way that you prioritize. And you know what, I'm saying this now, I wish that I would have had this when I owned my marketing agency, like I did not. It's that's that's one of those hindsight moments that I that I have, but this is what I do a lot. And you know, this works for, I mean, regardless of the size of the organization, you know, it could be a five-person organization, it could be a you know, five fifty thousand person organization. Um, you've got to have a way to prioritize efforts and understand what's important to the business. 
And so some things may be, you know, personally important or emotionally important, but if they don't drive the metrics that matter to the business, and those, those could be very different um, based on, you know, based on what the organization is, but um, find a way to do that and do it consistently. And then the second thing is to start small and, and, you know, think about pilot projects, think about, you know, small ways of making incremental progress instead of, you know, okay, yeah, this is going to take us 12 months, but man, when we're done, this is going to be great. 12 months from now, your competition is going to be completely different and your audience is going to be wanting something different. You know, we don't, we don't, nobody lives in a world where 12 months, you know, it, it can take 12 months to do and finish anything. You know, we've got to take maybe in two month increments or, or something like that, or quarterly or, you know, at the most or something. So, you know, figure out what, what can you do to make some progress towards those goals in a short amount of time and make sure you're doing the right things in those, in those times. That makes perfect sense. And so let's kind of dive into, you know, like, let's say, I, you know, when, let's say, for example, Greg, a Fortune 500 company comes to you and says, hey, man, we want, we want you to consult and so forth um, for our company. What, which, in, um, which side of things do you focus on mostly? Do you focus on the marketing and sales or is it really dependent upon what they're looking for um, um, when they're asking you? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of it is, um, I, I usually work for CMOs. Um, so in the marketing, under the marketing umbrella, but I would say it's, it often falls under marketing operations, which at that, you know, at that size org, that's a, that's a whole thing, you know, that's a whole team and departments and, and all those kinds of things in a smaller organization. If you have a marketing team, chances are they're doing it all right They're you know, they're, they're planning, they're doing strategy, they're, they're, you know, managing the campaigns, and they're also managing the processes that they're being done. But um, a lot of a lot of what I'm brought in to do is, okay, we want to, you know, we've got a process. And so one, one example I can use, um, you know, a, an organization wants to do more personalization of, of their content, you know, they've got several audiences, right now, they're doing a good job with what they have. But all of a sudden, when you think about personalizing content for let's say, you've got five different audience segments. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to do five times the amount of work, essentially, you've got to create five different sets of content versus one. So all of a sudden, and you know, multiply that out by multiple types of products and customers and all that kind of stuff, it can, you know, it feels exponential at that point. So, you know, a company brings me in and says, okay, we need to start doing personalization, but our team is already stretched thin doing one version of all of this stuff. Now we need to start doing five. Like how in the world do we do this? So we look at, okay, let's, let's create a pilot project. Let's figure out what's a really important, you know, what's an important audience to look at. What's an important product that we really need to move the needle on. Let's do a project there, see how it goes, implement some new technologies that it's going to be new to the team, but let's do it on a small scale, roll it out. If it works perfectly, we roll it out, you know, kind of as is to the rest of the org and the rest of the campaigns and audiences. If it needs improvement, then we iterate, optimize and, you know, and, and keep going like that. Very interesting, man. I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, obviously working with large companies, you have so many things, so many things rocking and rolling and going and you got to figure out, okay, as a marketing person that's been in the industry, you have to figure out what, um, where to focus on and what creates the biggest result at the end of the day. And those are the questions that they're always looking for. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, 
what's the what's the result that they're actually desiring? It may just be personalization. It may be brand awareness. It may be results of a you know income, right? Increase of revenue and so forth. So it's just dependent upon that. Um, so that's awesome. That's that's really good to hear, kind of your perspective in working with larger companies. Uh, so tell me a little bit about about your book, man. I know you just recently published it again. So I, this is just awesome stuff. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, sure. So it's called Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, and it really uh, it ties into a lot of the things that, that we've already talked about as far as, you know, prioritizing the right things, measuring the right things, and then finding ways to build, uh, build tools, systems, platforms that can create better customer experience. And it's sort of, it's, uh, it's a follow-up to a previous book where I called center of experience, where I really mapped out how to create a center of excellence within an organization around experience so customer and employee experience and so yeah you know i took i took time to i i always feel like i work a lot in the customer experience space um as well and i feel like there's a lot of writing on that it's uh you know that customer experience is good like i think everybody everybody understands the premise that we need to create better experiences and and um and and focus on things like that but there's not a lot of writing and work on how to actually do that. And so I really try to create some practical guides and advice on, well, how do we actually do this in a meaningful way that that is, you know, measurable and, you know, reportable to stakeholders and, and execs and, and stuff like that. That's actually really great. And uh, Greg, uh, you guys, uh, for those that are listening to that, I think that's very, very valuable. Uh, and the reason why, just like Greg was talking about, is because there is no other books. There's very few books that actually give you uh, they, they give you the big picture and, and they give like, oh, that's awesome, wonderful. This is what you need to do, but they don't give you exactly the resources and how to, right? And really, you know, detail oriented. So I, I'm, I'm going to actually buy this book, Greg, and I really appreciate you sharing this. And uh, before we let you go, though, first of all, Greg, um, I know this is a very short, relatively short uh, podcast. We'd like to have you on a little longer, but uh, I know you got to get going here very shortly. But uh, I do want to just say thank you for the value that you brought to our audience, being able to share kind of your experience and expertise and just bringing clarity to our business owners and say, okay, you know, it's it's not those large, you know, bulldozer kind of, uh, you know, metrics. It's, it's those small incremental changes over a period of time that produce the biggest result and that consistency. Um, but before we let you go, is there, uh, where can they reach out to you, my man? Yeah, absolutely. So two two places I'd recommend. So one, I have a website. It's gregkillstrom.com. Uh, you can find my books, I have a blog, have my own podcast um, based there as well. Um, and then LinkedIn, I'm very active there. Just search for Greg Kilstrom. There's not many of us, so um, you should be easy to find. Um, and yeah, connect with me. Let me know you heard me on the show. I'd, I'd love to I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. And those links will actually be in the description below. So make sure guys you click on that, make sure you engage with him, make sure you reach out and follow him and, and buy that book as well. And all the other books that he's, he's been able to publish, which is really awesome. Uh, and Greg, before we let you go, is there any last words you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. I mean, first of all, thanks so much for having me. This is, this has been great and we'd love to love to do it again sometime. Um, I'd just like to say, um, you know, just remember the, that agile, iterative, incremental process. Cause you know, I think making big change and, and achieving big results, it can be daunting. It's certainly possible, um, and, but it can be very daunting. And so, you know, taking it one step at a time and being smart and methodical about how to do it, it will pay off. It may not feel that way in month one, but it will definitely pay off over time. So, you know, definitely, definitely uh, look forward to hearing some great results. 
Love that, guys. And guys, that is Greg Kilstrom. Again, make sure you reach out to him on the links below as well in the description. And guys, that is Journey with Christian Evans podcast with Greg Kilstrom. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can.